Transforming care through genomic medicine, personalized therapeutics, health services and outcomes research, and innovations in healthcare delivery. We're Children's Mercy Kansas City, presenting our audio interview series, Transformational Pediatrics, with host Dr. Michael Smith. All right, so our topic today is translating genome sequences into patient prescriptions. Neil Miller is my guest. He's the Director of Informatics and Software Development at Children's Mercy's Genome Center. Neil, welcome to the show. Thank you. Glad to be here. You know, I'm reading your bio here that Children's Mercy sent over to me, and I find it pretty fascinating what you do. Um, So I thought maybe we could start there. Neil, just tell us a little bit about yourself, um, you know, how you got interested in genome sequencing and how that brought you to Children's Mercy. Sure, absolutely. Uh, So my team is in charge of all the bioinformatics analysis, high-performance computing analysis, and software development in support of our genome sequencing center. Um, So, you know, the backstory to all of that is just that the DNA sequencing instruments produce an enormous amount of data, and so you really need computational tools to make any kind of sense of it. So I've now been at Mercy for five years, uh, or almost six now that I think about it. Um, I was part of three folks who came from a small research institute in Santa Fe, New Mexico, uh, called the National Center for Genome Resources. Uh, We came to Children's Mercy with the intent of establishing a genome sequencing center that would be integrated with patient care. So we were trying to take a lot of things that we had done in a research context and really bring them to the front line of clinical care. Uh, So I got my start in bioinformatics uh, in the late 90s, actually. Um, I entered the field as a software engineer, and uh, because of getting hired by a biotech company, and uh, that led to a position at the National Center for Genome Resources, where I was for 10 years. Uh, So it's been a really interesting ride for me. (laughs) Um, I got my start in genome sequencing probably about, let me think, about 11 years ago. Um, The DNA sequencing world really changed in 2005, 2006, um, with the advent of what we're calling next-generation sequencing. So this was a real change, and uh, I've spent most of the last 11 years deep in all of that ever since. So, so it's so it's interesting, right? Genome sequencing, in and of itself, is something we can do, but that ultimately provides all kinds of information, right? So then the question becomes: Is how do we sort through that? How do we make sense of it? How do we apply that to medical practice? And that's what you're doing, right? Absolutely, yeah. There's, I mean, I think it's safe to say we're generating far more data than we know how to make sense of right now. Uh, but that being said, there's an awful lot of things that we're able to do with the data that we can generate. Um, well, some of the- Neil, let's let's talk about that. Let's so let so let's walk through a little bit what you're doing exactly at Children's Mercy when it comes to genome sequencing, and and what are some of the current applications for it. Sure. So the place where we saw our most uh, our initial and most immediate impact was. Uh, in the area of diagnosing rare genetic diseases. And uh, so this is really where we got our start as a center. Uh, so the, the basic use case is that uh, there's something like four or 5,000 genetic diseases that we know the genetic basis for. And this is many more diseases than a clinician can keep track of most of the time. Up until recently, the state of the art for um, sequencing for this kind of diagnosis was that a clinician would look at the symptoms or dysmorphology of the patient and make a, a best guess about what condition to test for. The lab would then go off and test for that one condition, and either you got a positive result or maybe you got a negative result. Um, what would happen is a lot of patients would end up on what we've, what's become to call um, the diagnostic odyssey, where they might go through many years and many thousands of dollars of tests. 
without getting a molecular diagnosis. Genome sequencing changes that because what we're doing is looking at essentially all of the genes of the patient all at once. And so that means we're able to uh, look at the whole landscape and find out um, what is really the diagnostic mutation. So we initially got started with a small panel of about 500 genes, um, and then uh, our center pushed forward and started doing uh, whole genome sequencing. Uh, one really interesting use case we had was um, we developed a ultra-rapid 50-hour turnaround uh, whole genome sequencing application that we were using for patients in the neonatal ICU. Um, so the idea was that um, for patients who are you know, really critically ill, um, these are patients who might be able to make use of a very rapid turnaround. So the diagnosis of rare disease has been one of the biggest things that we've been able to do okay. as a center. Since then, we've expanded out into using genome sequencing for um, cancer treatment and also what's called pharmacogenomics. Yeah, we're, let's get into that because that's, you know, being able to, you know, translate the sequence into to the patient's prescriptions and their treatment plan. I mean, that obviously is, is quite powerful. But before we do that, so in the recent past, Neil, you know, as a clinician, if I, you know, sus suspected um, what I'm seeing in my patient was linked to this one gene, I would ask the lab to check that one gene. They would probably come back and say, no, you're wrong. And then I would say, well, maybe it's this gene. And so it was a laborious, laborious process to go through all this. So now by doing the whole genome, we're able, we've just sped up the process, right? Is that kind of the, the gist of it? That's absolutely right. Another piece of the puzzle is that um, we're able to take a symptom-based approach that lets us know um, what set of genes are most likely to be involved in a patient's symptoms. So um, those two things together let us look at a whole patient's genome and uh, in a lot of cases come up with a very well, quick diagnosis. So that goes back. So let's use an example. Um, if I have a depressed patient, right? So we know that there may be certain genes or certain um, um, polymorphisms of genes that are associated with depression. And so now we can test the patient's genome against that database. Is that correct? Yeah, that's correct. So what, what we would do would be to take the patient's symptoms and come up with a candidate gene list and then cross-reference that with the results of their DNA sequencing. And for, uh, like I said, around four or 5,000 diseases or genes, um, we're able to know that a mutation in that gene is going to be causative of disease. So this helps, number one, with um, narrowing down diagnosis from 20,000 genes to the you know, handful that might be implicated by the symptom. Um, it also lets us detect disease in cases where the patient isn't presenting directly according to the textbook. <laughs> a lot of times patients right. haven't read the textbook. <laughs> Which mostly happens, Neil. <laughs> right. A lot of times patients don't know from the textbook how they're supposed to present. And so by right. looking at their genome, we're able to see those kinds of things. Well, back let's let's take the the angle of prevention for a second. So, um, because the, the, you know, for, for me, I, I I do a lot in preventative medicine, and so for me, I, I look at this and I say, well, gosh, if I can if I can know, um, you know, Neil, let's say you're my patient, and I can know um, at the get go what genes you have or what polymorphisms you have that that are associated with depression. And I, I say to myself, well, you have a lot of them, and so I need to protect you from depression as best I can, whatever that is. Is that another application, or is that opening up a door that maybe we don't want to go down? Because just because you have a couple of the genes that are linked to depression, that doesn't necessarily mean you'll ever experience that in your life. So where, where do you see prevention in all this? That's a really great point, and actually I think both aspects of what you mentioned are uh, things that we need to pay attention to. So I was talking about using genome sequencing for patients who are ill. Um, 
But of course, a whole genome sequence might have lots of applications to people who are otherwise healthy. And so some of those might be looking at known risk alleles um, that would tell us that, yeah, in your example, patient might be at risk of developing depression or heart disease. Um, I think for the things that we know how to interpret, that kind of information can be really valuable over the lifetime of a patient. Um, that being said, I mean, I think we need to proceed with caution and make sure that um, we're only giving feedback on the things that we really know how to, how to interpret. So let's, what is astrolabe? I know that that's something that you've developed at Children's Mercy or you're, you're using at Children's Mercy. Tell us a little bit about that. Sure. Well, so pharmacogenomics is another really um, great application of whole genome sequencing to otherwise healthy people. And what that is, is using a patient's genome, genomic information to uh, inform drug selection and dosing. So what astrolabe does is it's a tool that takes the output of whole genome sequencing and turns it into pharmacogenetically relevant information that can then be used to help guide the selection of medications for a patient. Yeah, so, so with, and, and with so, that, yeah. what we're able to do, there's, um, for instance, there's a, a common gene called CYP2D6. This is a gene that's responsible for around 30% of all the medications prescribed. And what we're able to detect using astrolabe and whole genome sequencing is that if a patient has a particular version of the 2D6 gene, we can predict that they're going to respond really well to a medication like, say, codeine, or maybe they're not going to respond at all, or uh, maybe even they're at risk of an adverse drug reaction or or morphine toxicity because of the version of the 2D6 gene that we're able to have, that we're able to detect, rather. Right, right, right. And so this this really helps us then to personalize, really, um, you know, what are, when the person does get sick, if they get sick, we can personalize what those um, prescription choices will be, obviously, and and we have a better chance of being safe and effective uh, with those medications. So I guess in medical school now, Neil, we're going to have to teach pharmacokinetics, pharmacodynamics, (laughs) and now pharmacogenetics, right? So we're adding a whole class here. That's right. Well, I think that continues to be a big challenge with uh, pushing genomic medicine into clinical practices. How do we take information and make it most useful to clinicians yes. who, as you said, are not going to be experts in right. pharmacogenomics or pharmacokinetics? Yeah, that that I think that's the challenge, right? It's you know your your everyday general pediatrician, general uh, family doctor, um, you know in, internist, you know. How, how again? We we just want to take care of our patients, right? We want to do what's best. We want to we want to get them back to their normal way of life and decrease the risk of anything happening again. So it always becomes how do I translate anything new, right, into making that happen? And I think that's a, a definite challenge uh, for something like astrolabe and and any genomic sequencing. Last question for you, Neil. What do you think the and it's a big question. I get it. What's the future of all this? <laughs> that is a big question. I personally am one of the folks who thinks that uh, whole genome sequencing is going to uh, get more and more common until it's really routine part of healthcare. And I think the promise of what we can do for personalizing care based on the whole genome uh, means that we're going to we're going to be motivated to tackle a lot of these really difficult questions of interpretation. And then also all of the technical issues that are going to come around, um, how we manage whole genome sequence data, how we incorporate that in electronic health records, and how we make the best possible use of it for clinicians moving forward. I'm going to, Neil, I'm going to ask you another question. So I lied. There's one more question. (laughs) Um, Yes, there's another field of study that's that's growing too, which is epigenetics. Um, sure. You know, n- you know, not necessarily looking at the specific genes, but looking at 
what are the things that we can use, whether it's supplements, food, medicines, that can influence the expression of genes? How is that? How is epigenetics, you know, working with what you do in genome sequencing, or are they just two unrelated fields at this point? No, I, I think they're very related, of course. So epigenetics is um, tracking the effect of patient environment on the expression of genes, like you said. And so if the genome is what's there, epigenetics or other gene expression might tell us um, how much of that is there. Um, and I think moving forward, that's going to be very important um, to making good use of this information. That being said, my, my personal opinion, I think, is that you know we're not quite as uh, solid with our interpretation of epigenetic data right now. We're not quite as poised as we are um, with um, whole genome sequencing or whole exome sequencing to make really good use of that in the clinical front line. But it's a huge research topic and one that right. actually at our center right. we're really um, starting to gear up to digging deeper into. My guest is Neil Miller. He's the Director of Informatics and Software Development at Children's Mercy's Genomic Center. Neil, you're in a great field. you got a lot of work to do. You have job security, that's for sure. <laughs> um, so that's great. Fascinating work, um, and I look forward to seeing what uh, your center is going to, you know, the things that are going to come out of it in, in the next few years, and it's very exciting um, to see what uh, the work that you're doing. So, hey, thanks for coming on the show. Great work. Uh, you're listening to Transformational Pediatrics with Children's Mercy Kansas City. For more information, you can go to childrensmercy.org. That's childrensmercy.org. I'm Dr. Mike Smith. Thanks for listening.